Good morning, church. How are you doing? That's not very convincing, but I'll take your word for it. I missed you all last week. It was snowy. I was in the parking lot at, I think, 6 a.m. with Brad. It was on the guitar today and with David all sitting in a truck watching the snow come down. And one of the struggles as being a pastor is like, you know, do you call a church off or do you do it? I mean, I'm an old school. Jesus is worthy of being worshipped even in a foot and two foot of snow. Amen? So that's me, and I got a four-wheel drive, and I'm like, let's do it. But then there's the pastor responsible side of me that says, you know, what if somebody leaving church gets into an accident on 60, getting off of our access road, I personally would wear that and bear that responsibility. And so uh, we just make that decision early enough. We do it at 6.30 in the morning, no later than. And the reason we do it that early is because we have to let teams know um, what's going on that day so they can prepare or not make the trip on the snow. So it's the gamble because the sun could pop out and it all melt away. And at 9 o'clock, you're like, what's the deal? Our pastor's a wimp or whatever. You know, there's always that gamble. But uh, I was glad that it snowed like we thought it was going to. <clears throat> we felt like it was a, uh, the right decision to do that. But anyway, that being said, I missed you guys. Did you miss me? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. So a couple weeks ago, I was uh, in my office. And my office is upstairs in my home. And um, I, I go up there way early in the morning studying. And so I leave lights off so I don't wake Rachel and make a lot of noise. I try to be quiet. Um, but I put these wool socks on. These wool socks are comfortable, toasty, and, uh, and, and it finally happened. Y'all, I, was, I had my glasses off. They were on my desk. I'm just going to run downstairs, get a bottle of water. And I go downstairs, the dim lights that are on the hallway, not quite bright enough, and I missed a step. I caught uh, the edge of a step, and those wool socks being thick like they are, they rolled under my feet. And the next scene was like, do, 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 do. And it was very loud, wasn't it? So Rachel was awake by the time, and she comes running around the corner like, are you okay? And I had to think about it. Because being a pastor for so many years and ministering to little ladies or little gentlemen that break ribs and collarbones and hips and wrists and stuff like that, I'm like, let me check myself first. And so I'm going through everything. I'm like, okay, I think we're good. The only thing that hurt is my pride, just a little bit. But I share that story with you this morning because I think it brings to light this idea that something that we all take for granted, I think we all do, is our ability to see clearly, right? Just the ability to see. I wake up in the morning, I open my little beady eyes, and then I'm trying to figure out where I'm at, and I see the light coming up through the window a little bit. It's getting light outside, and I make my way to a light switch in another room, and then I find the coffee pot, and then things start to come to life after that. And I find the bathroom in a mirror, and I look at myself, and I make sure that I'm willing or ready to go out and, and be seen in public. And then I get in my vehicle, and I see the cars driving on the road, and I see what's going on around me. And I get here, and I see your lovely, smiling, hint, hint, hint faces. And it's a beautiful thing, and I think that we take that for granted, the ability just to see things. Can you imagine if we couldn't see having other people to describe what's going on around you, having other people to tell you um, what's happening, um, what the colors of everything is. Um, it would be like darkness, literally nothing you can see. It's always darkness. You're always relying on someone, and you're always limited in your lifestyle. There's things that you just can't do if you can't see. You think, man, that would be a hard way to live life, and yet there are a lot of people on this planet that do struggle with blindness. I'm thankful that we have eye doctors that can help us with these little seeing glasses. Amen? that we have lights that we can turn on and we don't have to walk around in darkness that we can see. But what could be harder than or more difficult than not being able to see physically, I would say, spiritual blindness. 
the inability to see spiritual truth. Maybe you know someone like this. God's creation is all around them. There's things that God has done in your life or maybe even in their life, and they're completely oblivious to the things of God. You're like, how can you miss it? I mean, God is screaming to you that he's real and that he loves you, and you just don't get it. They're spiritually blind, unable to perceive spiritual things or spiritual realities. Maybe you struggle with that in areas. I just struggle to see God's will for my life, or I read something in Scripture, and, I, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Maybe you're a, um, a critic or a skeptic at heart. And you're like, man, I just, like Thomas, I won't believe it unless I see it. The, the story that we're in today, uh, the man that was born blind, that was his reality. He lived in a day and an age where he couldn't see anything from birth. He was born blind, and Jesus sees him, and we have this miracle in John that's one of seven miracles that John will share. Um, and it's a beautiful story. On one level, you look at it, and you're like, it's just a beautiful story of his healing of a man born blind. But if you, you zoom out a little bit, you, you back up and you look at the big picture, the context of the Gospel of John, what's been going on, what is said after. This actually goes into chapter 10. It's just this one continual theme here. Then it begins to paint a different picture for us, and we see this irony of a man who was born physically blind and the others who had the physical sight, but they were absolutely blind to the spiritual truth that is who Jesus is. And so John chapter 9, it's a long text, but I want you to bear with me and read it with me. John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his parents' sins or his, Jesus said. This happened to, for the, so the power of God could be seen in him. We must carry out quickly the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground. Can you imagine the blind man not seeing this but hearing spitting on the ground. He made mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud on the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came back for the first time in his life seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like the man. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am he. I'm the same one. I'm the man. Verse 10, Then they asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud. I mean, I heard it with my own ears. He spit on the ground. He made mud. He spread it over my eyes. And he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know. He replied. So they do the next best thing. They take him to the spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And they're like, hey, this is a pretty significant miracle. Let's go see what the Pharisees have to say about this. And so verse 13, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath. Dum, dum, dum. That Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes. And when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. For he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. 
Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been born blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? Pharisees never cared about anyone else's opinion, but here they're asking, what's your opinion of the man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could not see, so they called his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind. They said, God should get the glory for this. Not this Jesus man. God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where the man comes from. Wow, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Their response, you were born a total sinner. They answered, are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Once again, Jesus finds him for the first time since he sent him away. Verse 35, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked, do you believe in the son of man? The word son of man was the messianic title. Everyone knew that. Like, do you believe in the Messiah, the son of man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you now. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. When Jesus told him, or then he told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they can see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we pray all the time that you would open up the eyes of our heart. Open up our ears and let us perceive the truth that you have for us today. God, we need to know you more. We need to see you more. We want to connect with you. God, we don't want to walk around in darkness, spiritually speaking, but we want to truly know you. And so I ask that you would just get us a step closer to that today. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this man born blind. The purpose of John's gospel, in fact, he covers it at the very beginning of his, um, apost- or his, his gospel in the prologue, and he hits it in the epilogue as well a little bit. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light. Say light. So his life, Jesus, his light brought light, or his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never 
extinguish it. You go to the end of John's um, gospel. He said these things are written so that you may believe, continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and believing you have life in his name. And so John's goal in his gospel is to reveal Jesus as the long-awaited promised Messiah. And Jesus performed a lot of miracles and he had a lot of conversations, but John records seven I am statements and seven miracles. And the purpose of these miracles and these statements was John wanted you to know, he wanted me to know, he wanted his early readers to know that Jesus is, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is God with skin on. He is full deity, and that's what John wants us to see. And so fast forward to where we're at today in the context. Um, Jesus is leaving the temple, they have just been at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's like a week-long feast that they're required to be at. And one of the ceremonies is the ceremony of light. They light these huge candelabra. It lights up the temple, and it's kind of symbolic of how the gospel or the good news that the Jews have are going to illuminate the whole earth, right? And so Jesus, with that as a backdrop, steps up in chapter 8, and he says, I am the light of the world. If you believe me, If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. On the heels of that statement, John just goes right into the story about Jesus finding this man who was born blind. He's in darkness, physically speaking, and he gives him the miracle of sight. Now, John uses the word pistevo or some form of that, believe, about 95 times in his epistle, and that's the focus. He wants us to believe in Jesus. He wants us to put our hope and our faith in Jesus. And so Jesus himself, he gets up and he reads from the the prophets, the scroll, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He closes the scroll and he says, This has been fulfilled today in your presence, in your hearing. I am he. This is me. This is why I'm here. And so with that as a a backdrop, Jesus now finds this man who is born blind. The man, some scholars say, is the characteristics of this man are the characteristics of the lost sinner. That as he's blind, that spiritually blind, you know, people who can see and they're very smart, but they just don't get spiritual things. They're spiritually blind. This man was a beggar. And some will say, well, that's the condition of the lost sinner because uh, you're on the outside looking in. There's this, this need in you, this longing in you. Um, and so spiritually speaking, we are beggars. And thirdly, you would say they were helpless. There's nothing this man could do to get his sight. There's nothing that anyone else could do for him to help him regain his sight. And such is the condition of the lost man. And then Jesus shows up. Guys, I love talking about the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know what grace is? It's getting what you don't deserve. One of the acronyms is God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives to us this salvation. It's not by works, but it is a gift of his grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace? So this man doesn't ask Jesus. He doesn't pursue Jesus. He's not begging out or hearing his voice and calling out. It says Jesus saw him. And so Jesus sees this man And it begins this theological discussion with the disciples. I like it, how they just totally don't get it. They don't see the big picture. Because their initial response is, okay, rabbi, teacher, Jesus, we got a question. This man, he's blind. He's obviously blind. Been that way his whole life. Whose fault is it? 
See, they didn't even keep within the realm of possibility that it could have been just, you know, we were born into a, a broken, fallen world or the consequences of something else or somebody else's sin. It's just like somebody did something wrong. It was either him or his parents who done it, right? And, and so the reason they believed that was because in Exodus it says, uh, you know, I'm, I, he's talking about his willingness to, to, to show grace to generation to generation, but he'll bring his punishment on curse, or curses on the families to the third and fourth generation. And so they believed that what mom and dad did, the sins, they could be laid on the kids. And it was backed up in two or three different places in the Old Testament. So it wasn't abnormal for them to think this man's blind probably because his parents sinned. Could you imagine being the parents? And the weight, every time you heard somebody say that, what did I do wrong? And maybe they were struggling themselves. What was it that we did wrong? My son is blind and it's probably our fault. What did we do wrong? And others suggest, no, 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 it could have been that he sinned himself. Okay, think about this for a second, the rationale. This man in the womb of his mother, because he was born blind, would have had to sin in the womb. That sounds preposterous, right? But that's only two options they gave Jesus. Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, neither. He clears it up for them. He says, it is not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Check this out. God knew that his son was going to come to the earth, and he knew that to validate the message of his son, to prove that he was indeed the Messiah, indeed deity, he's going to need a few people to heal. Amen? And so I don't know what it would have been like, but just say, if you just knew that, you were born blind for a purpose. And how old was he? We don't know exactly when he was healed, but just to go through his whole life in blindness and wondering what the reason was for that blindness, but God in heaven and his sovereignty is like, I know the reason, and I know that one day my son's going to heal him, and he's going to use this to validate that he is who he claims to be, that we are here to save the world. Amen? And so he said, this happened so that God could get the glory from this, the, 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 the power of God to be seen in him. And he goes on to talk about the, the work that's ahead of him, referencing the fact that he's about to go to the cross. And, and he goes, we need to work because night is coming when no one can work. While I am here in the world, here it is again, I am the light of the world, the ability to see, the light. In chapter 10, he'll go to the hearing. So he's talking about the sight, the hearing, the light. Jesus says, while I'm here, I am the light of the world. Jesus saw him. It was grace. Verse 6, the miracle. Jesus never uses the same method twice, it seems. He, one time, time he sends somebody. Another time they just do it from a distance. Another time he just speaks to them. But this time Jesus spits on the ground. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be the blind man and having this, this sound of footsteps coming close to you. No dialogue. And just to hear somebody spit. And then for Jesus to take that spit and that mud and just begin to knead it together and make this cake, if you will, of, of mud, and he puts it on the eyes. One of the guys uh, that I was reading said, um, if Jesus had healed everyone this way, somebody somewhere, televangelists probably, would be selling like this healing mud somewhere, right? But Jesus, the focus is not on how he did it, but the focus is on who did it, Jesus, right? And so he, he makes this mud, he puts it on his eyes, and he says, now go wash. I want you to notice he doesn't see yet until he takes a step of obedience. There's this faith, 
But there's this works, I believe, that accompany that. Like, I do believe, therefore I will go. Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. There's a pool over here. It'd be closer. But he said to go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So I'm going to do what Jesus said, and he makes his way, which would not have been easy for a blind man. He makes his way to the pool of Siloam. He washes his eyes, and for the first time in his life, he sees people. Can you imagine? The first time in his life, he sees colors. The first time in his life, he's like, dude, I, I've been listening to you as my friend my whole life, and I had you pegged that you ugly, right? I mean, we, he's just seeing things for the first time ever. He's got this reference, this ability now to perceive and to see. What an amazing miracle that would be. And you would think that everyone around you would be excited, right? Right? If you're mom and dad, and finally your son is seen, you're like, whew. Hallelujah, right? He's healed. But notice what happens. Look at the response of a few different people. You have the response of the neighbors. I like this one. Verse 6, it says, His neighbors and others knew that it was him, or who knew it was, excuse me, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar ask each other. Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? I mean, we've seen him on the side of the road for years. In fact, we try not to make eye contact. He can't see us, but we just kind of avoid it and walk around him. This is the man that was blind and, and was begging on the side of the street. And others are like, no, I don't think it's him, but it looks like him. Now, I'm going to give him some grace there because I do that. Do you do that? I, I know you do because sometimes out in the community, I'm wearing a ball cap. I don't look like a preacher. And I got people that are giving me the side eye. And they're talking to each other. And they're like, I think it's him. Nah, it looks like him. I do the same thing. I see somebody, I'm like, I know that person from somewhere. I, I think I recognize them. And, you know, we can do that occasionally. But how many, how many know this is also true, is you can be this just hellraiser, crazy person in the past, and the gospel impacts you in a significant way, and you're not the same person, and people struggle with that going, say, say that again, Shane's a preacher? I can't believe it. Is that the same guy? The power of the gospel as neighbors? They were blind. They couldn't see the evidence of God's transforming love. They were blind in many ways, and I think in many ways so are we from time to time. They're stuck in the past. They're unable to see the transforming power of God, God's love for this man. You get the neighbors and their response like, man, is this him? And he says, it's me. He goes on to explain how he was healed. And so they take him to the Pharisees. You would expect a little different response from the leaders and the religious Pharisees, the teachers, the keepers, the holy people of the day. You would expect a little different response from them. But we also see that they are blind to the fact that God's grace and forgiveness and mercy are unrelenting and unconfined. That Jesus outside of their expectation, was willing to meet this man, heal this man, and in doing so would ruffle the feathers along the way. In the beginning of this series of encounters with Jesus, we talked about how Jesus is willing to break through the barriers, the moral barriers of his day, the political barriers. He was willing to just break through all those expectations in order to meet people, and I'm so glad that he did. Amen? Because the Pharisees have these expectations, and and they begin to have a problem with this man, Jesus. He's already healed another person on the Sabbath, and this is a, a source of contention for them. And so they, they're just wrestling with this theologically. Like, this man can't be Messiah because he's not even obeying the law. 
And so they bring the man to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, because it was the Sabbath, Jesus made the mud and healed the man. They said, man, we know that this can't be him because this, this man Jesus is not from God because he did it on the Sabbath. Well, can I just tell you, the, the disobedience that Jesus showed then was not a disobedience to the law of God. It was a disobedience to their interpretation of the laws of God. She had God's law, the heart of the law, and then by the time these guys get through with it, they added so many other burdensome commands, do's and don'ts, and they believe that as the gospel. We can call that legalism. We can call that religion. But they had their expectations. You can't do this. And here's, here's the, the crazy in their reason for this sin of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. They said, you know, you don't plow a trench to, you know, to put seeds in. You don't do a furrow. And so their thinking would have gone like this. He spat on the ground, and that spit could have caused a little furrow. And that furrow, oh, that's work. You can't do that. And then for Jesus to pick it up and knead it in his fingers, that's work. You can't do that. You don't work on the Sabbath. Jesus would remind them, hey, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this man in need of healing, Jesus breaks through that barrier and he heals this man. And these guys, having the proof in front of them, having the evidence in front of them, refuse to see. That's spiritual blindness. They could physically see, but they couldn't spiritually see and acknowledge that Jesus is somebody special. That Jesus was much more than just a man. That Jesus is holy. They were blind to the fact that God's grace and forgiveness and mercy are unrelenting and unconfined. They were so stuck in the Torah, their religion, that they were unable to think outside of the box. Do you think that we struggle with that sometimes in church? I grew up in a few different backgrounds of church, and I've talked about this before. And you get into a church, you get steeped in that culture, and, and those, uh, I'm just going to call it religion because it's rules of men, and, and they become the gospel. And, and you have a hard time seeing and thinking outside of the box. And I'm grateful that I came from many different backgrounds because it gives me a little bit better perspective because when I'm brought, something's brought to me, I'll run it through the grid of, well, when I was raised this way, this is what they thought. And, this is, and I just am able to kind of, look at it objectively and come to a consensus in the truth. And so these Pharisees, they were so steeped in the Torah, and not just God's law, but their interpretation of it. So from here to here, they were so steeped in it that they were not willing, and they were unable to see the transforming power of God's law. That's the Pharisees, unable to think outside of the box. So then they go to his parents, you know, right? You would think that the parents would have been uber-pumped that their son for the first time in his life is seeing. Amen? Put yourself in their sandals. Wouldn't that be the case for you? It's like, my son lives in my house. I've been wanting to kick that sucker out forever, but I can't because he needs me. Or this is my son, and we know the needs that he's had, and we know what we've always had to do for him. We know all the care. We know just the, the heartbreaking comments that have been made that make us question, what did we do wrong, God? And my son is blind, and all of a sudden that son's going, hi, Mom, hi, Dad. And he can see, you would think they would be elated. But what does it say? When pressed by the Pharisees, they said, uh, he's a grown man, ask him. They just totally passed the buck, right? And we know he's our son, and we know he was born blind, but as to how he got where he's at now, you know, you just need to ask him. You could say that the parents were blind by choice, 
They put blinders on rather than testify to the power and the presence of God. They were paralyzed by fear. Why? Because they didn't want to get kicked out of church. Now, church is a New Testament term, post-Jesus, but this was their church, amen? The temple, they went to worship, and the Jews were fearful that they would be kicked out of that to be ostracized or kicked out of a church. I mean, the synagogue was a huge, huge deal. And so the parents worried that they would be kicked out of their religion. They decided to stick their head in the sand instead of celebrating like, this is great. I don't care who you are. How do you explain that? And so they were blind by choice. So then what do they do? They go back to him a second time. And this time they're like, hey, God should get the glory for this. You're saying Jesus, you're saying he's a prophet, he's healed you, but God should be the one to get the glory for this. You don't be giving glory to this man, Jesus. Because they say, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Think of the arrogance, that cocky, confident attitude that they had. We know that Jesus is a sinner. And his response, and I love this, I don't know. I mean, I was just blind a couple of minutes ago. I don't know whether he's a sinner, but here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. In fact, over and over, I was blind, now I see. He spit in the mud, he put it on my eyes, I went to wash, and now I can see. Over and over and over. He just kept telling his story. Amen? I was blind, and now I see. And then he goes toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of the day. Watch this. They said, we don't even know where this man comes from. This is the Pharisees. We don't know where this man comes from. They said, well, that's very strange. This young man says... He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has ever been able to open the eyes of the blind. No one, no one has ever been able to do this since the world began. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Obviously, this man is from God. That's his confession, right? And so what do they do with that? toe-to-toe with this non-pharisaical religious leader, just a man who was healed, who was blind, and now he can see. And their response to him was like, you're born a total sinner. You're a loser. Reference back to the fact that he used to be blind, and that was the expectation. He's blind for a reason, because he's a sinner. You were born a sinner. Are you trying to teach us? Do Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who I am? And they threw him out of the synagogue. He lost his religion. He lost what he knew as his church. He got kicked out. But Jesus comes after him. This would have been very encouraging, by the way, for the first century Christians. This is written about 85 AD. The church is heavily persecuted. And many of them would get kicked out of the synagogue because they were following Jesus. They were followers of the way. They would get kicked out of the synagogue. And for them, for the first time, to read this story and to to rehearse this story over and over to one another that Jesus found him would have been a huge source of encouragement to those kicked out of religion. They found Jesus. Amen? Do you get it? Do you see that? So they get kicked out. And so can can we all agree that spiritual blindness is a, a pretty serious thing? Now, I read a quote this morning by C.S. Lewis. It says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And the idea is this body that we, we live in is temporary. It's a tent, Paul calls it, right? 
And we, one of the benefits of having a body is we can hear, we can see, but that's only temporary, right? And so how much greater is spiritual sight than physical sight? Just a question to consider. How important spiritual sight is and how serious spiritual blindness is. And so in contrast, what we see is this man who was born blind, blind, who is healed, and he's healed physically, but we also see the maturity or the progress, if you will, of his faith because as he starts off, he says, I don't know, the man they called Jesus made the mud. The next time they reference him, what do you think about this man? He says, I think he must be a prophet. Do you see the progress? And later, when they say, you need to give glory to God, he's a sinner, and he's like, well, listen, if he is, God couldn't do those types of things, and so I believe he's from God So he's progressing in that. And Jesus, when he meets him, after he's been kicked out of the synagogue, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man says, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And just said, it's me. I'm speaking to you. And you now, for the first time, see him. And look at the response. Yes, Lord, I believe. Spiritual sight. I trust, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus Just like the blind man, John's readers are encouraged to come to a deeper understanding of Jesus and to worship him, even if it means expulsion from what has long been their religious and social center. This man grows in his spiritual insight. Contrast that to the Pharisees who refuse, even with the physical evidence in front of them, with their own eyes, refused to acknowledge and to believe what is right in front of them. How sad that they have the law. They were the keepers of the law. They knew it better than anyone, and yet they refused to believe. And then they appealed to Moses. We're disciples of Moses, but earlier Jesus says, you don't even follow his laws. I mean, you say you're disciples of Moses, you don't even follow those laws. And so they refused to believe. Hmm. You know, there are people like that in this world today. You could, they could hear the gospel preached a thousand times and they're just, their minds are, they're dark. They're, 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 the, the God of this world is darkening them, Paul says, and they're just not able to see that. Can I just tell you, God is still in the, in, in, in the business of opening the spiritual blind eyes. And so we should always be praying. Amen? Because every one of us probably knows someone or have someone like, God, I just wish that they would see it, that they get it. And you keep praying, God, open their eyes. God, open their eyes. You did it once before. God, keep working. Open their eyes. Open their eyes. They can see you for who you are and trust in you as as well. The contrast of this man receiving physical sight, spiritual sight, insight, knowledge, understanding of who Jesus is and how he matured in that, the picture of us growing in our faith, and how these guys, even though they had all the evidence, refused to see, they refused to believe Jesus. And so here's a lesson that I think is cool for us um, out of this. Like, there's a lot of things that we could just camp out on for a moment, but the Pharisees, capable of arguing the fine points of the law in great detail. No one could do it like them. They find themselves bested or humbled by this young man's personal testimony. Church, can I tell you that there's power in your story? There's power, and you may not go toe-to-toe with the religious elites around you, but your most powerful witness for Christ is your testimony about what he has done for you. And it might sound something like this. You know what? I once was lost. I once was a hellion, man. I once was running as hard as I could away from God, but he found me in his grace. And now 
I believe. I once was blind, spiritually speaking, but now I see. Amen? Powerful, powerful testimony of what he's done for you. So the response, the blind man responds by believing and the authorities respond by not believing. Uh, David, a couple of weeks ago, talked about Nicodemus. And he talked about the importance of believing. And he says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Some people think, think that Jesus is contradicting himself because um, he, he says that I entered this world to render judgment. And over here he says that he's not bringing judgment. He's not doing that. He's just saying that by his life and his explanation of the, the intent of the law is going to expose that they are in error. Right? And so it says, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment, listen to this, is based on this fact God's light, Jesus. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All do who evil, Hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And so, how important is belief? And I'm not talking about just a head knowledge of belief, but to make that journey from here to here to say, I I understand, I believe, I trust, I place my faith in Jesus and who he said he was, who he is to me. Seeing is believing. So let me ask you a question. How do you learn to see like that? Here's just a few recommendations. Number one, acknowledge our spiritual blindness. Do you know that every one of us can be guilty from time to time of having our minds made up already? In fact, we'll approach scripture that way. We call that eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you have your mind made up and you go to the scripture to find a verse or a passage that will back up what you believe, right? To make your argument. In contrast to that, exegesis would be able to say, God, I want to know you, and I, and I want my past training and, 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 and learning to get in the way. And so I'm coming to the scriptures, and I want to, like mining for gold, I want to dig in your truth, and I want you to reveal to me what you want. We are all capable of being spiritually blind. And so I think the first step would be to acknowledge, God, maybe I'm struggling a little bit with some spiritual blindness. I don't want to hear the truth because I've got it all figured out in my mind and to have your truth would change the way I live my life because I've already got it figured out. That's where the Pharisees were at. They were unyielding, unwilling to acknowledge their spiritual blindness. They would throw around insults. You're a sinner. Jesus is a sinner. He's not from God, right? So I'd say acknowledge our spiritual blindness. Think about it. These guys were the ones responsible. They searched the scriptures. They knew all the messianic prophecies. It should have been like the easiest people to recognize Jesus for who he said he was should have been these guys. But though they could see clearly the laws of Moses, they were the keepers of the law, they completely got blindsided the truth of who Jesus was because they were so steeped in their pride, their arrogance, and their unwillingness to open their eyes to what was going on in front of them. So acknowledge our spiritual blindness. Develop spiritual discernment. That is to say, we, we used to sing the song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. Um, and that, that should be the prayer for every one of us is, God, give me discernment. I, I know I see you with my physical eyes, but God, I want to see you here, right? I, I want you to show me more and more who you are, more and more what you want for me in my life. Developing spiritual discernment, that's how we learn to see. And I would say, lastly, learning to see is seeing others as God sees them. God saw a man in need of healing 
and uses this man to point out a beautiful truth for all of us to see from a 30,000-foot view that Jesus is the one that opens the eyes of the spiritually blind, that he is the light, right? He's the light of the world. And those who would believe in him would not walk in darkness but have life. And so we have that privilege today. And so what these men saw was just a, a beggar. They had no compassion on him. They had zero compassion. They had no zeal or excitement for his healing. None of that. They saw him differently than Jesus saw him. So I'd say, see others as God sees them. And so I would just say this in closing. What, what would it be like if we were willing to just think about that for a second? God, I thank you for my eyesight physically. I mean, I, it's kind of a little different than it was, but I, I got a man back there helping me keep that in check. I'm thankful that I can see, right? I, I'm grateful for that. I don't want to take it for granted, but how much more significant and important is it for me to have and develop spiritual sight and knowledge? And so what would it look like if we pursued that and said, Jesus, I just want to know you more. I don't want to allow my religion to get in the way. I don't want to worry about getting kicked out of the old school. Can you imagine being in a church and that's all you've ever known and for you to discover Jesus and come to salvation that way and then your church to say, you're, you're gone, we're done with you, kick you out. I've heard of it happening, actually, in my, in my time. But to understand who he is to open our eyes and to know him more. That's what this whole series is about, just these encounters with Jesus and how we learn a little bit more about Jesus. We see his impact in their lives and hopefully how it impacts our lives as well because he's still working. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for just uh, bringing this uh, out. I mean, it's so easy to just zoom in on a verse or two, but to just back up and see the big picture and, and what I'm amazed that people could have all that evidence in front of them screaming that your son Jesus is the Messiah and refuse to believe, to refuse to put two and two together, to refuse to budge one moment or one inch in their religion and their rules and their traditions, their legalism, to accept that you might just be who you said you are. And Father, I know that that is a true statement in today's world too. We all know people, we all have family members who are running from you. Uh, Lord, they, they, they will do everything they can to just avoid you and dismiss you and say you don't exist. And yet your evidence and your proof is all around them. And my prayer, God, is that they would see you, that you would approach them, that you would give them the ability to see you and your love for them and your forgiveness for them. God, that you would change their lives just like you changed my life, just like you've changed many of the lives in this room today, just like you are still changing lives across the globe. Lord, we acknowledge and we believe and we worship you. And God, I pray that you would give that spiritual sight to those who are blind today, that they truly could see you too for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.